stay focused on what you're doing. It's kind of, you know, you get like the, to the end of the paper towels and you have that little cardboard paper towel thing. Yeah. You look through that thing and that's what you need to look at towards your goal, right? You don't, you get tunnel vision there. That's where you get tunnel vision on is on your goal. And so what happens is most people, when they're focusing their goal, they pull that off and they look around at everybody and they get distracted. And so they don't ever focus enough to stay focused on that goal. And so they land up losing motivation because they're looking around too much. Are you on the hunt for ways you can not only fit your sales goals, but become the top sales producer within your organization? Each week on this podcast, we are bringing on industry sales leaders to share the skill set and mindset needed to become a top sales producer. I'm Carlos Correa, and I want to welcome you to the Close More podcast sponsored by iSales CRM. Let's dive into today's conversation. Hey guys, welcome to the Close More Podcast. My name is Roger, account executive with iSales CRM. On today's episode, we have Jerome Maldonado. I'm super excited about this one. I don't want to introduce you myself, so please take it away, Jerome. Hey, Roger. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, we just got back from Phoenix, Arizona, where I was looking at some projects that we have going on down there. And I'm excited to be here today um, with everything that's happened over 2020 as we've moved into 2021. Um, I'm excited to share with some folks, you know, a little bit about what we've been doing to get to where we're at today, how we've pivoted and where we're projected to move towards in the uh, near future. So, Roger, thank you for having me and really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on your show this morning. And Jerome, back at you, man. It's a complete honor. I know you're pretty huge uh, in the real estate world and in sales in general. So I'm really excited for this show myself. Yeah, but let's start in the beginning. T- tell me a little bit about how you got started. What did you do in your direct sales position? You know. I knew I always aspired to do something more than just being an average employee for somebody. And I think it was, it came from just my DNA, the way I was wired as a, as a kid, um, you know, from mowing lawns to doing sales at, as a vendor at our sports stadium when I was a kid. And then I started doing car stereo installs and, and tinting windows when I was in college just to make ends meet to get through school. And I, I found out at an early age that I could make more working for myself, doing nominal projects that I bid out as opposed to working for the, by the hour. And I worked for four years at a grocery store and I moved all the way up into management at an early age of 18 years old. I was working for Smith's grocery store, which is Kroger's and in most states. And um, I worked my way up to a key carrier and I was doing well in the, in the early, early nineties in quote unquote a job. But I realized that there was politics. I had a glass ceiling of what I can earn there. And so at an early age of 18, After a little bit of politics and a little bit of internal fighting with other employees, I decided I was going to do something that I could do on my own, at least while I was in college. And I was in college to become a pharmacist. I was in pharmacy school and I was burnt out after my third year and I decided I was going to go work in a gym. And by accident, I answered a health and fitness ad and I landed up in a direct sales and network marketing company. And some new concepts were kind of thrown out there at me about working for yourself the efforts of other people, um, earning money off of their efforts. And so all this stuff that I wasn't taught in school, and I was hooked, hook, line, and sinker. And I started working at it in the summertime. And I was horrible. I was horrible, Roger. I mean, I was I was really bad at what I was doing. It took me about two and a half years. I, I mean, I loved the concept. I felt like it was all me, but I was really bad at it, in, in all honesty. But I wanted to do a full run of it. I went back to school. Um, I did two more semesters of college. It was a five-year program, so I wanted to finish out my school, and I didn't finish. I left one year shy. I did come back and finish later on, about four and a half years later, 
But in that interim time, I had a great education, better education than I ever got in college. Um, I was able to move out to Virginia, open up an office out there. Um, I struggled for two and a half years. I mean, I rolled the financial roller coaster of being in sales, trying to make a business go, being young, not having a lot of credit, ruined my credit. I went bold by uh, opening up offices that I couldn't afford, uh, but just try to figure things out. And by riding that roller coaster of business, after about two and a half years, I slowly started figuring things out. And most of it, in all honesty, was not me. It was training that I plugged myself into. I was all over the country. I was getting trained by people that were better than me. I think my limited beliefs and my thoughts, the way I was raised were holding me back. And I knew that a lot of it wasn't what I was doing. It, was, it wasn't what I was applying. It was what I was doing mentally. And in some place right around 1996, I just kind of figured it out. And I literally went from, from being over $100,000 in debt to figuring out the company to making over $20,000 a month. And within a six-month period, my business just skyrocketed. So in my young 20s, I started going. I went from zero to making over 200 grand a year. And then in 1998, the FTC came in, pulled the rug out from underneath us and shut us down. There was a huge clean out in the uh, direct sales industry. And um, I was left again, kind of sitting up on my hands going, oh my God, what do I do now? And I felt lost. I felt lost. I felt confused. I was mad. I was frustrated. Um, I said, you know, I, I may as well go back to school, finish my degree, at least have that to fall back on. And um, I ironically, on accident, I landed up in construction, um, opening up a construction company. And I knew nothing about construction, but my brother-in-law was put in a position where his boss was put out of business for tax evasion. And so we went and we, I, I got my contractor's license with him to help him. And he didn't show up the day to take his contractor's license test, the exam to, to get our license. And I showed up. And so I took the exam and I passed. And, um, and so I said, look, I, I know how to sell. Why don't I sell the projects and you guys come in and work with me? And because I didn't know what the hell I was doing in construction. And that, in all honesty, is truly how I got started in the construction industry. And then I had this little epiphany. I was like, you know what? I know how to sell. I know how to market. I've been doing this for four and a half years. Why don't I just sell these things? And I was bold. I've had this uh, attitude that I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. I felt like I'd already given everything I had to something and it was all taken away from me. I figured, what the hell, you know, let me just go full blast at this and see if I can make a run with it. And I thought it was going to be for like one year, two years. And lo and behold, here I sit over 25 years later, and I'm still in the construction industry. And we've done millions of dollars, and it's it's allowed us to get into real estate. And we've done some pretty impressive stuff that I that I enjoy and that has turned out to be extremely fun and uh, rewarding financially, emotionally, and everything in the real estate industry. So in a, in a tight nutshell, Roger, that's kind of how I got started in sales. That's how I kind of blew up into, into real estate over the years. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for that. that. That's really interesting to hear you start from a grocery store to opening up your own business to pursuing real estate. What was that transition like going in from going from construction into real estate? So when I first got started in construction, um, I... I was really pursuing stuff in, in drywall, metal stud framing. And then like any entrepreneur, my mind's always going, right? And I'm thinking, okay, if I can make this much doing this, um, I wonder if there's money. And you know what happened is I was in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I don't know if you remember when the um, when the New York, New York was was just built. But there was a company that was called L&L Enterprises and they had done all the concrete work. It's not there anymore, but there was like this faux rock that was built inside um, the New York, New York hotel and had like this, uh, river that ran through the food court area and the, between the casino and the food court area back in that day. 
and before they did renovations in there. And so they were offering a seminar and I happened to just be in Las Vegas and I just thought, you know, I, I was a seminar guy. I mean, we were in direct sales, so we were used to going to trainings. It was embedded into me that if you wanted to do anything, you had to get trained. And so I said, what the heck? And I threw, I think the training was like $500. I had to fly back out a couple of weeks later. And I took this course on concrete work. And, um, and so you go into like the rainforest cafes and you see all that faux rock and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's what we started doing all over the country. And then I started doing it in Arizona. And when I got to Arizona, we started doing stuff on the golf course on these houses that were just gorgeous beyond my, my personal comprehension at that time. You know, they were just gorgeous. I remember walking these people's homes going, man, I just, one day I'm going to have a house like this. You know, I mean, and it was funny. I, I remember being inside and looking at the baseboard and just the baseboard, how pronounced it was compared to just an average home because of how big and bulky and wood and how beautiful it was. And I just remember thinking to myself, there's got to be a way that I could get to that, you know, and just to have a house this beautiful with this nice woodwork and stuff. And, um, and I started looking into just nominal real estate thinking, you know, look, I've, I've went through the ups and downs of riding the roller coaster. I need to have an asset. I need to have something that protects me against failure again, just in case the carpet gets pulled out from underneath me, what's going to protect me. And I figured if I bought an asset that I'd have something, I just wanted to have something tangible. And I didn't know anything about real estate. I didn't know anything along commercial, residential, any of that. I just figured if I could just buy an asset that grew and it went up in value, that I'd have something to protect me that was least tangible. And so it was just common sense. So I bought one one house, did some renovations to it, rented it. And then I did a second one almost immediately. And I didn't start off with a bunch of money. I did it as a personal residence. So I didn't need a lot of money to go in. I did a first time home buyers program. And the second one, I did the same thing. I, I ended up getting a lease on the first one. So I went back to the mortgage guy and he said, well, if this is this going to be a primary residence? I said, yeah. Um, the other one's leased. So I'm going to do this one as a primary residence. And so I did the exact same thing twice on a second house, not really knowing what I was doing, not really knowing the banking laws, not really knowing how I was positioning myself. And I ended up with three of them in one year. And then I, I, I started dealing with tenants, Roger, and I didn't like the residential tenants and the residential occupancy of, of dealing with the tenants at that time. I was busy running my business and so much so that I started running it out of my own personal place and my neighbors hated it and they started hassling me. And so the, the true and honest to God, the way I got into commercial real estate is I was forced out of my house. They took me to court to, to get me out of my house from running my business out of my house because it wasn't zoned for commercial use. And I was bringing work trucks and tractors home and all this stuff. And so I knew I was going to be in a position where I was going to, I was going to have to go out and get a commercial place. And so I started looking for a building. But when I was in direct sales, we the way I really started making a living in direct sales, Roger, was we used to get off training centers. We used to rent an office. And I used to lease people desk space in my office. And I could figure out the direct sales part of it, you know, all the, the come in, buy our products, go out, recruit, get somebody else. It took me a while to get that concept down and really get a business model moving where I was making money. But one concept I did get in direct sales from the training centers well, shoot, I can go in, sell the opportunity. I could build a bunch of desks out in my office and I could lease these desks to other sales reps for either $500 a month or $250 a month for half a desk. And I was able to make a living because I only had maybe $2,000 a month in rental income that I, I mean, in a, in, in a lease payment each month that I had to pay over to uh, the landlord. But I was able to get $4,000, $5,000 a month in desk rent if I could fill those desks. 
So every month I would just work on filling the desks, filling the desks, filling the desks. And I would go out and pay my, my lease. And then I still had $2,000, $3,000 left over at the end of the month to be able to, for food and, you know, keeping a roof over my head. And that's how I really landed up making it in the direct sales industry. And so when that, that concept in my mind, when I was pushed out of my house of running my business, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do the exact same thing I did when I was in direct sales. I'm going to buy a building bigger than I need. I'm just going to take a piece of what I need to run my business and the rest of it I'm going to lease so that I'm rent free. And it really came down to me not wanting to pay my own rent. I wanted to be able to have the same cash flow I had without being responsible for that nut, that monthly nut every month, right? Having to pay that note. And so I've landed up buying an 8,000 square foot building with a little bit of land where I could store my equipment. I only took up an 800 square foot office and the rest of the entire building, I leased it. Um, I did it on a real estate contract. The guy had inherited it from his dad who had passed away. He worked for the National Labs. He wasn't a business guy, wasn't a real estate guy, didn't know anything about it. He did an owner finance deal for me and I did a, a three-year call on it. And I got into the building, did some renovations, put some new glass, new doors on it, a new roof, um, and just cleaned the place up, had my crew go in, clean everything up, and we just rented it. And um, it was funny, Roger. One one day, my my dad, I took him down there. You know, he's a very conservative man. He's, he's an accountant for 32 years. Okay. Super conservative. <laughs> him and I, our personalities are black and white, my dad and I. Love him to death. You know, but just completely different as far as how he sees things in life. And so I remember taking my dad down to this building and uh, he goes, he, he walks around, and he's just, you know, scaling it up and he looks at he, the end and he goes, yeah, drums, this is nice. So what happens if you don't, if you don't rent it, you know? And I, I, Pessimist. just, yeah, I just kind of looked at him, I go, you know, I, to that moment, I really had never thought about that, you know? Um, I was such, I'm such an optimistic person, you know, I'm like, you know, dad, I, I never really thought about that. I said, I'll rent it, you know? And I, and so it was funny. I was like, so that even motivated me more. I was like, oh my God, I never thought about that. We need to rent this damn thing. And so I just put my head down and I, I figured if I gave somebody a better product, they can get across the street and I leased it for a fair market rent rate and I bought it for the right price that I could, I was going to lease it. And I did. And so within six months, I had that place renovated, fully leased. And, um, and I was real aggressive in the way I did things, you know, so people going, well, how'd you do that in six months? Um, everything I did, I, I worked hard. Yeah, Roger, I was, I, I had a type A personality and I just went in and some people that think that it's easy. It's not that it's easy. Um, it's hard and it's work, but I put my head down and I was driven to do something bigger and better. And I knew what I wanted. And so I just renovated that thing and it worked. And I said, shit, this was way better than doing these residential ones. I'm going to go do this again. So I went and bought another building and did the exact same thing. I did it three times in two years wow. and I landed up selling off the other three houses. While keeping the other buildings? Yeah, no, keeping, I still own that building today. I, I still own two of those three buildings. I still own them today over 20 years later. One of them, I do a video. I'll say this one building right here that I paid $225,000 for has made me over a million dollars in rental income. And it has. Um, it's really cool. The building's paid itself off. Uh, the first one I ever built. My office is still there today. Our construction yard isn't. We outgrew this construction yard. So we've bought real estate down the street and I've bought almost the whole road up over the course of time. Some of it I've turned and flipped, but we've, uh, we've bought that almost that whole entire road we've, we've purchased and renovated, tore buildings down, tore bars down, rebuilt them, sold them off. 
made little subdivisions. And um, I, I literally made millions of dollars in my backyard. My house was down the road. I lived there for 18 years. And um, I, I went in and just bought up real estate right around my own house. And I, I literally made millions of dollars just within blocks of my own house on one street, you know. People are all over the place. They want to go all over the place. And now we are too. But when I started, I just started simple, right right by my house and just use common sense with stuff that was right around me that I purchased and I negotiated with people until I had a price I felt comfortable with. So I kept it really simple. That's awesome. Man. And maybe backtracking a little bit, what what are the benefits or for you personally, what do you what, what's better, commercial or residential properties? I wouldn't say that there's one that's better. I'd say, you know, there's one... You want to do something that, that you enjoy, right? So you, and when I say you enjoy, it's something that resonates with you. I mean, I, I have colleagues that are in residential and they won't, they won't even moonlight in commercial. That's just what they love. For me, commercial is where it's at. I'm, I'm a big commercial real estate guy. I love commercial real estate. Um, I've made a lot of money in it. I, I learned how to do it. To me, it makes more sense, Roger, because, you know, I like, I own apartment complexes but I own large enough ones that I don't have to manage the, the day-to-day operations, right? I, I'm able to hire and facilitate that out to a management company. So it's it's commercial real estate in my eyes, um, even though it's a residential multifamily dwelling, but it's large enough that other people manage it for me. And all I do is micromanage problems. You know, I, I put out fires, I go in and just work with the logistics, doing the dealing with the accounting, dealing with the numbers, and um, auditing books and auditing the property. I was doing that same thing in Phoenix this past weekend. And um, I just go in and hold accountability for people uh, more than anything. We manage accountability is what we do on those assets. But commercial real estate, like we're doing industrial warehouse right now, which is a huge move in the, in the commercial market sector right now that we've been working on for two years and people are kind of missing the boat on this stuff. What I love about it is I go buy a big building I do a triple net lease on this stuff. And for people that don't know what a triple net lease is, it's when you incur all your expenses, property taxes, insurance, everything. And that becomes the responsibility of the tenant. And so I don't have to worry about fixing toilets. I don't have to worry about taking care of landscaping. I don't have to worry about anything in the interior or exterior of that building as long as the roof is not leaking and the foundation itself isn't settling on me. Everything else is the responsibility of the tenant. And so I can literally do these these leases and go check on the properties maybe a handful of times in a year. And sometimes I don't even do that. And as long as the payments are being made and, um, you know, and, and obviously we have somebody that has boots on the ground, a maintenance guy, and this, that, and the other that does have to go and do little tiny logistical stuff. But we're pretty hands off, you know, a lot of our commercial real estate. And that's what I love most about it is that I don't have to be in there day in, day out fixing light bulbs, toilets, and stuff like that that you do when you're renting residential homes. So that's what I love about it. That's really cool. I had no idea about triple net leases. That's, that's a great way to go around it. <laughs> yeah. So it makes, it makes life simpler. You know, as you have a family and kids and life changes for you, you know, and your time becomes more important than it is when you're younger, you know, and, you know, it's, when you're young or when you're alone, I think is when it's, um, the best time to to do the aggressive effort in moving forward. And then once you get to a certain place in your life, you sit back and go, okay, how do I simplify this stuff? And so that's how I've done it. I've just, the commercial real estate sector makes my life simpler. And um, and that's why I love it more than anything. It gives me a little bit more time to spend with my family, my kids. And, and so, and I value that more than I do anything else. So That's awesome, Jerome. That's awesome. And I think family is one of the most important pillars to everyone's life, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, it should be, you know, I think for a lot of people, I think they try to be, but and they, and some people do a good job at it. Some people do a horrible job at it. I think I'm mediocre. I try to do a great job at it and something that I drive for every day, but that's my main focus is them, not, not this stuff anymore. Although this stuff has been my big driving force for so many years, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And it sounds like you've gone through a lot of adversity in your life and you, you've been able to overcome and, you know, exceed even your own expectations. It sounds like how can sales reps or real estate professionals, insurance professionals, how can they stay motivated and just keep trucking along? Like, do you have any advice for that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things to stay motivated is to keep life interesting. And the way you do that is by always, I always look around. I always tell people, get tunnel vision and what you're doing professionally to be succeed, right? So like, don't look around. And so I'm going to kind of contradict myself here to answer the same question where I tell people, stay focused on what you're doing. It's kind of, you know, you get like the, to the end of the paper towels and you have that little cardboard paper towel thing. Yeah. You look through that thing and that's what you need to look at towards your goal, right? You don't, you get tunnel vision there. That's where you get tunnel vision on is on your goal. But, and so what happens is most people, when they're focusing their goal, they, they pull that off and they look around at everybody and they get distracted. And so they don't ever focus enough to stay focused on that goal. And so they land up losing motivation because they're looking around too much, right? So I always tell people, get the paper towel thing, focus on your goal and don't ever take it off until you get there. But to stay captivated by doing that, you have to be able to create circumstances in your life that continue motivating you, right? So while you keep this here, you have to be able to infiltrate more stuff into your focus to keep you motivated and keep life exciting. And the way I always did that is by putting opposition in, in front of me. And what I mean by opposition was I, I put tasks and goals that didn't seem attainable in front of me that I didn't really know how to achieve them, but they kept me on my toes and working towards something. And when you have something that's in front of you, that's super challenging, that'll push you, it, it keeps you, it does keep you on your toes and it keeps your life interesting. Even if some days you have that pit in your stomach where you feel like, like things are not going right. And a lot of it, it's, it's, you're overwhelmed with what's happening around you because you're scared mentally. But when you get that pit in your stomach, it's a good pit because once you, if you continue pushing through it and you're able to achieve what you were scared of, what gave you that pit in your stomach, once you achieve it, you never get that pit again doing that exact same thing. And so a lot of times people stop because of the pain and it's that pain factor that they, in their mind, they, again, they pull, they, they pull their focus off. They look around and they go, okay, I'm going to move, do something different because that's too complicated to keep life interesting and to keep yourself motivated. You have to have challenges in your life. And, um, anytime you don't, it gets boring, you know, and that's why like even relationships get boring. That's why people veer away from, um, everything that they do in life because they don't keep it interesting. Um, the way I've been able to, stay motivated and focused my whole life is that I always bring in um, stuff that I know is beyond where I probably should be at that time mentally, but I know that I can push to it if I keep, if I keep doing it. And so it motivates me. And so even through a little bit of factor of where I was telling you, you need to be somewhere between comfortable and uncomfortable at all times. And if you feel comfortable, you're not doing enough. You get bored. It's, it's not enough. You need to put yourself where you always feel a little bit uncomfortable to continue moving forward in life. And I still do it to this day, Roger. I, I do it in everything I do. There's, there's times I sit back and my wife and she goes, I think you're in a little over your head. And I said, Oh yeah, I am. I said, let's just keep on going. I'll figure it out when I get there. Let's just keep driving. Let's keep moving this direction. 
That's awesome. And to have a partner that's willing to to back you and to go to bat for you is really essential as well, I feel like, in, in somebody that's making the climb you are. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's important. My wife's been real good. You know, and like every like every couple, you know, we have our moments of frustration, you know, where I think sometimes I'm pushing against the grindstone a little harder than I probably should. And I need to find a you have to find a balance. And that's what they're there for. But um, but that's what keeps people motivated. Roger is um is is challenges. Um, I don't care what anybody says. I know that people hate that friction, that they hate that feeling of uncomfort, but um, that'll keep people moving. If you put yourself in an uncomfortable position where you're pushing yourself beyond your means, um, I promise you, you won't get bored. You'll uh, you'll continue pushing. And you'll be amazed what you can achieve if you always do that your whole life. And that's why I've lived my whole life. I've never lived in comfort. At a certain point in life, you have to enjoy it, right? So my wife always tells me, she goes, are you ever going to be at a point where we like, we can enjoy all of this? And I tell her, Oh yeah, we enjoy it, you know, but it's just my personality, you know? So I think that, you know, you got to kind of push against friction a little bit to keep yourself excited in life. I think when you stop pushing up against that friction is when uh, you get bored and people get complacent and that's where they lose their dreams and that's where they just kind of give up and, and they, they get, we lose that motivation to drive forward on things. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Jerome. That was awesome. I guess one of my final questions I have for you is you kind of touched on it a little bit with the warehouse space, but uh, what is the biggest opportunity in sales that you see going forward over the next five years or even further than that? So, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. I keep telling people when there's times of distress, there's opportunity. And in, in the next five years, there's going to be mass opportunity. You can work a business, Roger, your whole life and do extremely, extremely well at it. You know, and I'm, I'm living proof that I started the business that I have today and we have multiple of them. But I started in a time when there was an economic downturn, which was in the late 90s. And I remember people telling me, um, Jerome, the economy's not good right now. You're going to start a business. And I, I sat back and thought, well, shit, not, shit's not good for me right now anyways. So, I mean, does it really matter? You know? And uh, I go, there's really only one way, way that I can go from here and that's up. I mean, I'm, I'm, I lost my opportunity. I, I didn't really have anything to go. And I, I just remember looking back and I remember I made the most money at that time. I don't know if it was because it was a downturn in the economy or if it was because it was a downturn in my life that I was moving out of. But I, all I knew is that there was, there was distress, whether it was personal distress or it was economic distress nationwide, there was distress and there was opportunity. Then when 2008 hit Roger, there was, we went through such a roller coaster ride at that point in time as well that I was able to pivot out of where we had created mass stress for ourselves in regards to um, all the real estate that we had and everything that we were going through. And then the economic crisis hit. And so we were sitting back forced to uh, service debt on properties that we had uh, that were under development. But what I did is I pivoted and I went to Phoenix and I started buying real estate out there and it serviced my debt for me. And the assets that I created out there more than doubled my asset base in just a short five years. And it was a lot of work for five years. Um, I, I won't sit here and tell people that it wasn't, but damn, we made so much revenue. You know, our asset base grew so much in that five years. I sit back and I go, okay, where can we get now? Now that I'm aware of this, like truly aware of what happened in that downturn, knowing that what the pandemic did, I've been telling people, do a 10-year deal. Put the effort that you would normally put into a 20-year career into 10 years. So take 20 years worth of effort Put it into 10 years and take the next 10 years of your life, like with what's happening right now with the pandemic, find every distressed market sector you can and take advantage of it. Because 
there needs to be somebody out there that cleans up the pieces. And so what I've been telling people is, look, the hospitality industry, it's taking a beating. We're buying hotels that are into financial distress where we position them into an asset class that's thriving, that's multifamily. I can't pick a multifamily for what I'm, for the prices um, that I want to pick it up for. So since I can't do that, I find an asset class that makes sense, which is in financial distress. And I pivot to be able to reposition those assets to profit from and make it viable again, pick up those pieces, sweep up the trash, and then just make it financially viable. Um, and then industrial warehouse space, you know, I've been, I've been preaching this to people um, that there's a huge need. E-commerce is booming. It's not going any place. Take a look at one of the wealthiest men in the world, like Jeff Bezos, you look at Amazon, you look at Alibaba, you look at these big companies, Walmart, Wayfair, all these companies that are thriving. You know, and this is what Ty Lopez and Dr. Alex Mir and who are our are, are business partners that I'm business partners with. This is what they've done. They sit back and go, okay, we're going to take these hundred year old brands that have a 95% familiarity, you know, recognition from 95% of our population that are in financial distress. We're going to take those brands. We're going to rebuild them. We're going to make them e-commerce companies. We're going to go up against companies like Wayfair. We're going to go up against companies like Home Depot and Lowe's. We're going to go up against Best Buy. We're going to go up against the Geek Squad. We're going to go up against Dick Sporting Goods by buying Model Sporting Goods. We're going to go up and we're going to we're going to go compete with these big guys with big name brands online. Yeah, and I did see Ty Lopez buy or was a part of the per or he put in money for Pier One Imports. Yeah, it's under ownership. Pier One Imports is doing over six hundred thousand dollars a day now in revenue. We got Pier One Imports. Rudy Moyer is the CEO of it. And um, yeah, he, I mean, he's killing it. He's, he's doing a great job. We're expecting for Pier One Imports to be doing over a million dollars a day here within the next 30 days. Wow. And so to take it from ground zero, from bankruptcy, and even to get it to half a million dollars a day in, in less than 60 days of being launched as we launched as an online brand, um, and now working towards a million a day in revenue, is just unheard of. The, the EBITDA on that is just huge um, for the revenue. But distribution, you know, you can't run all these companies and have that type of a, a flow of inventory without industrial warehouse space and distribution nationwide. So I've been telling people, you know, you've got to invest in industrial warehouse space. There's not enough of it out there. We looked at repositioning distressed retail assets to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge opportunity in distressed retail, big shopping malls that are in financial distress. Properties that once were valued at over $25 million, today you can literally pick up these assets for three or $4 million, you know, so for pennies on the dollar, hundreds of thousands of square feet in real estate, acres and acres of land, and um, reposition this stuff into industrial warehouse space. And um, now we're even buying industrial warehouse space. We can find land. We get it where it's cash flowing, and then we're going in and putting additional square footage on it. We're doing that up in uh, in Chicago right now. And um, so... Great opportunity. That. So the next five years are very, very promising, Roger. Um, I talk about an excitement because I know now what, I, what I'm what i doing and it's taken me this long to figure it out. And so I tell people, I said, you got to follow the movement, you know, of those of us who have lived this, you know, instead of trying to just fight the grain and, and you fall into the, the end of financial distress, follow the opportunity. Because right now, in the next five years, there is so much mass opportunity. You can take all of what's happening in the next five years and you can ride that wave for an additional five years. And you can set your entire lifetime up in the next 10 years where you never have to work again. But you have to move into the market sectors to make the most sense. No, I love that. Thank you so much for that, Jerome. And that's exactly why I joined your real estate mentor group on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. 
That's and awesome. I guess it's the name of the show. So it's going to be our closing question. In generic terms, how can reps or anybody close more deals? Yeah. So you got to be looking at deals all the time. You want to close more deals, you got to be out there looking at it. I always give an example of, um, you know, any time, like looking for real estate, closing deals and sales, um, anything that you do. Um, when, when I was, when I was in sales and I was, uh, doing direct sales and even in my, in my companies, you know, when I'm bidding projects, it's like planting a garden, right? You don't, you don't go in there and plant one seed and then water that one seed and, and expect to have a harvest, right? You don't, you're not going to get acres of corn with one seed in the ground. The way you get a harvest, the way a farmer succeeds is they plant seeds all the way up that all they, they, they section out their land. They plant a ton of seeds out there. They water it. They graze it. And that's how you get a harvest. And that's exactly the same thing in business and in sales. You have to, you have to do it like you're a farmer. You got to plant seeds everywhere you go. You want to close more deals. It sales is a numbers game. Real estate's a numbers game. All of everything that we do in business is a numbers game. If I want more projects, like when the recession hit in 2008, I just bid more stuff. You know, I have, it's a numbers game. You want more business. You want more clients. You have to hit more people. The way you do that is you have to put yourself out there. You got to market yourself more. However, that is, whatever industry you're in, you got to be out there pounding the, um, the pavement, boots on the ground. You have to be, you have to have your social media platforms and stuff set up. But everything is about planting seeds, having more seeds planted than anybody, any of your other competitors. But not only having those seeds planted, you have to water your garden. You have to water, you have to nourish that garden. You have to exercise those relationships. Everything that we do, I sit back, go through emails on the weekends. I look for people that I haven't communicated with, emails that came in from them. I respond back to them with simple little emails um, where I'm, I just tell them, hey, hope things are going well. You know, how are things going in Florida? How are things going in Denver? How are things going? What's your take on things right now? Little tiny communication. If I'm in town, like when I was in Phoenix this past week, I sat down for lunch with a few friends and I, I'll reach out to people that are important to me and important to my business and say, hey, let's grab, let's grab some coffee. Let's go and uh, grab a workout together. Let's whatever it is. And what all I'm doing is I'm nurturing those relationships. You want to close more deals. You got to nurture your relationships. You got to put yourself out there. You got to plant more seeds. You got to be in the ear of more people. You have to let them know what you're doing, that you're still active, that you're still there. You got to be in their face, be in their face, be in their face. And that's how you close deals. That's how you get shit done. I absolutely love that. It reminds me a lot of this quote that I heard where it's like, the grass isn't always greener on the other side because the grass is green where you water it. You water it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Jerome, thank you so much for your time today. It was truly an honor. How can our subscribers, how can they get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Yeah, so we're real easy to find. You guys are always welcome to DM us directly on Instagram. It's Jerome Maldonado and the number one on Instagram. And you'll see the same profile photo on every platform. If you go to Facebook and you just go to Jerome Maldonado, you'll see the same profile um, picture on LinkedIn. You just go to Jerome Maldonado. You'll see the exact same profile picture. And um, you can just visit us at JeromeMaldonado.com as well, you know, right on our website. And, um, you know, but we're, we're, we're here, we're available. And um, I got a full team that just helps and, and works with me, Roger, to be able to bring people in and, and work and manage, you know, a lot of the educational platform that we're working within right now as well. So for those of you guys who need help, assistance, want some direction on some of the stuff that we're actually living and facilitating and working in every day, look us up, DM us, hit us up on Messenger, and um, we're here for them. You know, anything I can do to give back at this point in my life, I'm here to do and um you know, love to be a part of as many people's lives as I can make a little difference in at least a handful of people. And, uh, 
and see what we can do to make them make their world better each and every day as God's been good to us, you know. Beautiful, Jerome. Thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, this is the Close More Podcast sponsored by iSales CRM. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Close More Podcast. Do you have a question that you'd like me to answer raw and uncut on the podcast? All you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do three simple things. Leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. In that review, ask me anything you want related to your industry or to yourself. And if you want a shout out, leave your Instagram handle or name. That's all. Then listen in to hear your question answered live, raw, and uncut. Join us next time on the Close More podcast sponsored by iSales CRM. Everyone have a great day.